0: Welcome to Unbreakable Spirit, Stories of Inspiring and Thriving, with Jennifer Seven, co-author of a book that is part of the Sisterhood Folios, a number one international bestseller. This is a podcast about real women who've overcome tremendous obstacles and come out on the other side to thrive. Whether their hardships were financial, relational, or health, these women dug deep and found the light, out of the dark, to rise from the ashes. To find the ability to forgive, to love, and to live an authentic, joyful life. Now, here is your host, Jennifer Seven. Hello, everyone. I am
1: excited, as I always am, to have a very special guest today. Today, I have Jennifer Miller, and she is the owner of Jennifer Miller Artist, Intuitive, and Soul Coach which I can't wait to hear more about. She has lots of wonderful certifications in healing with the arts, intuitive coaching. She's a Reiki master teacher. She has a certification in life coaching, color therapy, women's workshop facilitation, mental first aid for youth, and a business management diploma. And she also has three published works, of which I know one is part of the Unbreakable Spirit story collection. Jennifer also facilitates art workshops, intuition development, group healing sessions, and one-on-one soul mentorship and individual intuitive readings. And all of her sessions are to foster connection to self and tap your creativity, find empowerment and connection to intuition and nature. Jennifer has quite the story that I'm going to ask her to share with you today from our Unbreakable Spirit book. And Jen, I want to welcome you. So glad you're here and can't wait
2: to hear your story. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. So there's always more than one Jennifer. So we're Jennifer times. We've had a
1: lot of Jennifers on this show. (laughs) It must be a great name. I think. Yes, it's our time, I guess. (laughs) It's the Jennifer time.
2: (laughs) It is. So thank you for having me. I think this is a a, a wonderful platform and I, I love that all these women are coming together and all these stories are coming together again. So I'm happy to be here. So, well,
1: yes, and I am so happy to have you here. And if you want to just take us back in time to your story, your Unbreakable Spirit story, and share with our listeners what was going on.
2: Yeah. So when I wrote that chapter for Unbreakable Spirit, I felt really strongly that it was a story I wanted to tell. And it has a lot of, threads through mental health um, awareness, uh, breaking the stigma about not talking about what people go through when they're in a depression or in a toxic place in their life. And then also going through what I went through with my son and up to today. So I think it's a very important topic to discuss and if we go back to the beginning of my story, it began fairly young that I had probably depressive episodes, but wasn't aware of it. So when I was young, I, um, it started right out of the womb, really. I was kind of a secret right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was very young. And when she had me and I was unexpected and not that there was shame around me, but there was definitely fear for her, right? Right. It's a different time. You know, 1979, things are a little different than they are today. Yeah. So when I was born, my grandparents didn't know about me until I was six months. Like I was almost seven months old in the womb. (laughs) So they didn't have a lot of time to prepare for me to come into the world. But when I did, I was very loved. And mom was very young and we had a lot of support system with uh, my grandparents. And I lived with them up until I was about eight years old and a very, you know, very warm, loving environment. And my Nana got sick and had breast cancer and lung cancer. So I was young, eight years old when it happened and when she passed. And I think that was really the start of me starting to struggle in my life with big emotions, big transitions, and not knowing what to do with them. And in the nature of of my mom, she was also struggling at that time, losing her mother at a very young age, still, you know, raising me, moving in with my stepdad who had a bit of a drinking problem. So there was a lot going on in the background. Mm -hmm. So looking back now, I think probably didn't realize that I was struggling the way that I was. So it kind of came in a common theme, that transition moving forward in life and also being exposed to alcoholism and unfaithfulness on, on, on his part. And I just started to struggle, I think in life um, as we often do. And I won't get into super big details about like the household or anything. Cause I don't, I don't uh, think it's super necessary, but it was, a, it was a hard time for all three of us. Mm-hmm. And the theme of it really was that we don't talk about these things. We keep them behind closed doors. Mm, we deal the with secrets,
1: the silence, the secrets. Yeah.
2: And I don't blame either one of them for that. It's it's more or less that that's just how they were raised too. Well, so, so
1: many, I think, so many people just go quiet inside and yeah. feeling shame or guilt or any of those emotions you tend to
2: yeah, and go I mean inside. we we although know, that's a generation where you learn to stuff it down or you continue on, you soldier on and and if you talk about your mental health you're considered weak, there's that big stigma that we're still trying to break I
1: know that stigma of, oh, you're just going to go waste all that time and money going to a therapist. You know, you Mm -hmm. can just do it on your own. You don't need all that, right?
2: Yeah. Get get yourself together, break out of it, you know, snap Mm -hmm. out of it. There's people worse off than you. That was, Mm -hmm. you know, certain things and you worry about it. And thinking that at a young age, I had to control those emotions and I had no coping skills. How to do that right I, I i mean i think i learned them to an extent but they didn't work out as time went on because i started to pick up substances and numb mm-hmm. out in different ways well and
1: then that's very common right when you're feeling yeah. all that pain and sadness you tend to self-medicate because you just want to feel better
2: right exactly that yeah you just want it to go away or you want to connect differently. And there's the rebellious part of it too, when you're living and seeing your family go through something, you want to push back a little bit in the teen years. And that's normal for, I think, every teen in some circumstances. But I I think for me, it became a bit of a crutch. It was, you know, well known that if I was at a party, Jennifer wasn't drinking, it was, that was more the uncommon thing than me having Mm -hmm. the drinks. Mm -hmm. And, um, You know, and I think a lot of people that I hung out with, we all had something kind of going on, but mine ran a little deeper because alcoholism was in the household. So I kind of seen it as a normalcy where maybe I gave myself a little more permission to do it then
1: yeah, it's because that's what was being modeled to you.
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, no, no um ill wishes on it on them either. You know, I want to make that clear because as as you grow and you heal, you realize looking back, they were doing the best they could too and they didn't have those coping skills. Right. right. Yeah. So when I wrote this chapter, it was kind of let's talk about it so that we can get the coping skills and we can break that stigma a little bit. So yeah, that was uh, that was a driving force behind the chapter when I wrote it and my story. And, and moving through the teen years, I also had my biological father, he had died when I was three months old. So going back to the coping skills of my mom, like God love her, you know, that was a hard time for her to deal with being a single mom and and losing her spouse and being alone. You know, that's that's hard. And I never really felt like I... I felt like there was a piece of me missing. I don't know how else to explain that. And when I got to my teen years and my grade 12 year, I believe it was, I had a lot of health issues. And there was so much mystery around his death that wasn't talked about. Right. So it was. Yes. 100%. I remember you
1: saying that in the book that it was yeah. really hard for you to get any information about your dad, really.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think now like that, again, once I had the story published, there has been more conversation around it, but it, it, it was just sort of maybe putting out the ask and, and bringing more awareness to that feeling. Right. And I think some of it came from, they didn't want me to be harmed or, or worry or t- to live in that. That's how they wanted to remember him. But there was a common theme of some mental illness, I think too, with him at that time. They,
1: they were trying to protect you.
2: Yeah, exactly. But what it did is essentially made me feel very lost and very disconnected from, I think, anyone that's looking up their ancestral history or their genealogy. You want to know more about yourself. And this is where I was at in grade 11 and 12, while I was dealing with a lot of big emotions and depressive episodes. And this really spiraled me when I found out some information about him that it was possible that he may have taken his own life Mm-hmm. And it was around substances as well. So there was a bit of a theme there. And it really led into my adult years. And, and I didn't get really treated for it for a long time. I didn't get treated for my depression and anxiety because I didn't really know that I had it. I felt like this is just there was kind of something wrong with me and I had to figure it out. And I struggled al- al- being alone for a long time in that space in my head. So and, and, life, and I
1: I remember you wrote in the book that at one point you and I don't remember how old you were but I think you were pretty young you didn't have a lot of money but you mm-hmm. scraped together the money to actually get to a therapist. Finally. Yes.
2: Yes because you know I was uh, in university and you know <laughs> university when you're coming out high school it's not not the same as high school and I had a lovely high school experience. But going into university and making all of these big life choices that you do, and this expectation to show up and know what you're talking about, and know what you're supposed to do, I found it really, on top of everything that I had already been carrying, really overwhelming and really debilitating. So I actually went to a therapist, and you know, I was making no money then, and I think it was close to $200 per session. And uh, I didn't feel heard in those sessions. A lot of it revolved around my diet because I wasn't eating properly and I wasn't taking care of myself. But the reason I wasn't is because I was depressed <laughs> and I, that got overlooked. So it was just another thing that I felt like I was alone in and that maybe, maybe there is something really wrong with me or maybe this is just how I'm always going to be. So no, it was especially
1: really when you made this commitment and put this money forward to finally, I'm sure you were pr- really hoping for that help and then not to be getting that would it even make you feel
2: worse, right? It did. I, I was very lost for a long time and, and I struggled as an only child. I didn't have, you know, that sibling maybe to bounce off of. And I had a c- close network of, of really good friends, but we were all so young, like, that's heavy stuff to, I didn't have a person and I kind of really felt that I had to deal with it on my own because I didn't understand that other people were feeling the way that I did. And there was times where I wasn't eating and I was drinking more or I I was struggling with my weight and, and my classes were failing. And I, the more these things happened, the more I blamed myself, the more I went within, the more I, struggled and the depression got worse but I had no help with it so eventually when I finally met someone and there was periods in my life where you come out of the depression you know and you feel a little better but it was always lurking in the back like it always felt like at any time and I refer to it I think in the chapters the dark girl would show up
1: girl yes
2: run the show and you know and I and I did meet somebody we we know, fell in love quickly. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm beginning my life. I'm starting to feel like I really should. And we rushed into everything so quickly. And then I had children and that's like, I think I really understood the severity of my depression as when I had my children because of my hormones and my tiredness and my inability to show up fully, even though I know I did a good job, it was really hard. It was really hard.
1: Would you say it was postpartum depression on top of your other
2: depression?
1: Because I know a lot of women get that postpartum or, or is that really something different?
2: I think it was a combination. I think it just really already heightened what was already inside of me and it was to the point where it was was inignorable like I Mm. could not function um, even though I did I was very high functioning you know but I was struggling I was getting further and further away from myself and that's when I started giving up myself to to be and most mothers do you start you you give everything to your children and, and I was slowly fading away and that's when it really hit the fan, I, re- I really do believe, because I started, I was fainting and having panic attacks. I was having physical symptoms. Of- yes,
1: I was going to ask you what, how this manifested itself, the depression. So it sounds like physical, and then I know some people can't get out of bed. So yeah. it sounds like you were yeah. getting out of bed because you were taking care of your children.
2: Yes. I mean, you know, I was home and I, I at that time I was working in early childhood education so you know I really loved being around children is what I wanted to do and I felt like that was you know a light in what was going on in my world but also really really tiresome and you know just on top of everything and doing it alone and I was only 23 I wasn't very I wasn't very old and so I thought you know this is what you do you know you 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 find a career, you find a person to love, you build the family, you have the white picket fence, you get married. I was following all of the the dominoes and lining them up, but what I wasn't doing was dealing with myself and staying true to myself, knowing who I was, because I didn't, and I was sort of setting myself up to fail in, in a sense, even though good things were happening. Because I wasn't dealing with what I had to deal with emotionally at all. So it was very difficult. I mean, I think I hit it really well. Because I had learned from a very early age to hide it. Mm-hmm. To not talk about it. Until it started manifesting in ways that people couldn't ignore. But then it became all about the physical. Like, is there something wrong with you physically? Why are you fainting? Is it your blood pressure? It was never a mental health conversation until I made it one because I, then I kind of broke my silence, and said, I think I'm depressed. And because I had training in it, because I had training with child and youth with the, that the, went through that I had mental or I think it was um, suicide intervention, then it's called something different now. So I knew as I was learning these things that this was applying to me, but I didn't know what to do about it.
1: And that's so interesting that you decided to get training in those areas probably to learn more about yourself.
2: Yeah. And I think I feel very pulled even today, because I do a lot of healing things today and and am with my son doing the exact same thing, which I'll get into soon. But I think that it's really propelled me to want to heal because I, I keep thinking back to that little eight-year-old girl that lost a grandmother that was like a mother to her. And I just had to stuff those feelings that grief and that loss and that on knowing where to step and then being in a home that wasn't familiar in comparison to where I grew up for eight years. I think there was a lot going on. And yeah, so I keep going back to her and thinking there's, there is another little girl out there somewhere that's grown up and is still struggling and feels ashamed about that. And that's why we need to talk about it.
1: We do. And that must have taken you you must have, it must've taken all of your energy when you were this young mother to do what you needed to do, because that's to be dealing with all that you were dealing with and yet still be able to get up and function. That must've taken everything you had.
2: Yeah. And, and it did. And, you know, and I didn't get a huge amount of help probably until my second son was born. So they're almost three years apart. So it started with with my oldest Gregory when he was born. And then, you know, I kind of got a little bit better. And because it always does, you know, it used to come in little bits of weight
1: cycles a little bit.
2: Yeah. And I would cycle in depression and seasonal would always be worse, of course. And then it was, I, I always thought even up until, and I now up until about a year ago, I thought all of my depressive episodes were situational. So I had a baby, I had a breakup. My Nana died. There was a fight in the home, you know, or I witnessed an event under alcoholism or I was drinking too much. So it must be the alcohol that's making me depressed because it's a depressant. I didn't do well in school. I had a falling out with a friend. You know, all of these things, I just attributed my low mood to these situations. And it took me up until a few years ago to realize that it's not situational. It's something that's actually... It just is in my life. It's a constant in my life and it needs to be treated as such. And a lot of people, I think that go through health for years and years and years. And now I think I've accepted it and know that it isn't situational. It's a, it's a constant and I I can deal with it. And I have learned to embrace it and accept it so that I can use it as a superpower and as a monitor in my body when things aren't well. And as a way to see it in other people and, and refer them to get help if they need it. And to that extent. So,
1: so so I think what you're saying is you learned to recognize it, that it's, it's not something just get over it. You had the baby now get up and get on with life until the next situation occurs. It's always lurking.
2: Yes. Yes. And, you know, I, I really hated that dark part of myself. Like I, I hated, I hated that version of me. I hated her. And so you have this polar opposite in your body that you're completely always pushing back against. And um, that's exhausting. exhausting. It is exhausting to do.
1: And panic attacks are, I've never, well, I will take that back. I think I've had one in a dentist chair where I would. I would say, I thought I was going to pass out and i'd never experienced anything like that before my i have a son who was having horrible panic attacks and literally to the point where he thought he was dying he yeah. absolutely thought he was having a heart attack and that he uh-huh. was going to die and i just like wow that that is very powerful it a is very powerful emotion and and i think once you have them
2: then you have the fear of having one you do you do cuz it's it's a loss of control and The thing about the stigma around depression is controlling it and keeping it close and keeping it contained and not letting anyone see your cracks because you you feel weak and you feel less than because you have this part of you that isn't really you. Right. And, and I think you get to a point where you start to identify as I called her, the dark girl. I had identified with her and thought that she was me and I was her. And some of that is true. However, it's the depression talking. You know what I mean? You have to be awareness that depression does have its own voice and it doesn't necessarily mean that's who you are. It's, it's almost tricking you. Mm -hmm. I always say depression has tricks because it makes you think things about yourself that aren't, aren't true in any way, sense, or form. Making you think
1: you're bad or you're not worthy or you're not good when really it's, it's a disease. It's really a disease.
2: Yes. And, and you need to treat it as such. So, you know, going back to when I was, you know, had my second child and the panic attacks were really amping up and really, you know, I was at the hospital for fainting and, and having people show up and amb- having to go in an ambulance. And because of what I had learned to do, Jen, is to, is to, to suppress my panic attacks. So that I would be having the symptoms on the outside and I got very good not showing what was actually happening within and what I would do is go into the bathroom I would hold it and hold it and hold it and go into the bathroom and let it go and like have a little breakdown and then pull it all back together and go back and and do what I needed to do and at this time I was taking children in my home to, to so I could stay home and be with my children until school age and I was feeling this weight of I can't care for these children. If this is, if this is how I'm going to be, I can't keep running to the bathroom every five minutes to ha- to regulate my breathing. So that was really the breaking point of, I need to go on some medication. I need to talk to somebody. I need to figure this out because it's not work. What I'm doing is not working. And of course it wasn't because I didn't mm. have the rules.
1: Well, and stepping all that down, no wonder you were fainting. Yes.
2: How hard on your
1: body. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like I was holding it in to the point where, and, you know, and it showed up. And I'm, and I'm, I feel like I should share this because I think it's important. It showed up in, you know, nail biting and hair twisting, it showed up in leg shaking, bouts of weeping. It showed up in such ways that you could push it off as something else. But really, it was the inner workings of panic, anxiety and depression, and they go so hand in hand that it's very hard to unravel which one feeds the other. It uh, definitely, (laughs) definitely when I even talking about it now, it feels like it's just sad to think that I put myself in a position where I had to suffer so hard because I probably missed out a lot in my life of the joy and the sweet moments because I was trying so hard to regulate myself on my own and no one should have to do that no that's, one should that's a lot
1: a lot to yeah. go through
2: yeah and then there was you know it, going deeper in that there was uh, I used to cut as well so you know I was very ashamed about that and as an adult that was part of the panic and the anxiety was in a lot of teens do go through this is you know you you make a mark on your skin or you push a pencil into your thigh or you know you pick at your skin to kind of bring, bring yourself back and to eliminate the internal pain and the mental pain, you physically do something to kind of break the cycle.
1: So it releases some pressure.
2: Yeah. And it like, it gives you like a, it almost makes you the adrenaline around it, I think makes you feel alive and kind of Mm -hmm. creates a reset, but it's not a healthy reset. I would recommend to go run and get that adrenaline pumping that way to kind of create that serotonin in your brain that you need that adrenaline hit to kind of make yourself feel better. And I was really ashamed of that, because I felt that was immature. And I thought that it was disgusting. And so there was a lot of shame around that being coming a coping skill. And that almost gets addictive, because
1: I was just going to say, I think that becomes
2: another addiction. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because it makes you feel better for a moment.
2: Yes. And, and it takes you away from that. You know, sometimes it would happen before I would panic when I was in the bathroom, I would, you know, pinch myself or, or punch my leg to just kind of bring myself back to the present so that I could function. But what a sad way to function. And, and then the shame that comes behind that this is, this is the thing that makes you feel like you can go back to a normalcy in your life but it was an alternative to substances. So I didn't, you know, when you have your children, I didn't want to go down that route anymore. I wanted. And so fighting and pushing back, back about getting the help that you need, it's such a struggle you don't need to be in. And, and I just wish I had someone take me by the hand or share something with me at that time that when, you know, you're not alone and you you have support systems here and you can get the help that you need and we can talk about it it's okay to be ashamed. It's okay to, it's okay to feel this way. You're not the only one that feels this way and we can get you the help we need. And I didn't have that. I didn't for a very long time. So yeah. you fin- finally,
1: through this, taking care of the children at home, you decided you took the step.
2: To yeah. And, and something of my spouse was like, you need, you need to get some help. Like can't spend time in your rooms. You know, I remember sitting one time after a fight, literally looking out the window for probably an hour with just completely shut down. And, you know, he said, you know, I, he was concerned at that time and said, I think you need to get the help you did. And and that was a little bit of a push into the right direction. And I did, and it was a long journey, Jen. It was a very long one. And I pushed against the help for a long time because I was so used to doing it on my own that I wasn't sure if the help was helping and, When you get better, you think you don't need the help anymore Mm -hmm, and it's not mm -hmm. hard. Oh, it's situational. I've moved past that now and my life is better and I don't need it. So it was always a push and pull. But
1: then, Can you tell us what kind of help that you you got at that time?
2: Yes. Um, So I really dove deep into some spirituality things. I started to find hobbies of mine that would work. I started working with other women. I started seeing a therapist for a while. I went on medication, several different kinds. I got my hormones checked and, and recently found out that I have PMDD, which is a like 3% of women have, which has to do with like a very heightened PMS, but it extremely affects your mood. Oh. <laughs> and that's I had good, no good idea. Know. Yeah, and uh, so that really also gave me permission to forgive myself, and that mm. was a recent event. That yeah,
1: happened.
2: yeah. So uh, knowing that now and seeing that struggle and knowing it was actually probably related to hormonal stuff as well,
1: so I, I know that's got to be such a relief. It's like, oh, I can I could pinpoint something that yes, and I can forgive myself state.
2: because. I had to forgive myself. I had to forgive myself through this 10-year-plus period of time uh, that I was getting help and I did yoga. I did everything. I just started to self-love in every way I could. And then I ended up picking up painting. And that became a healing modality that I teach others today because it allowed me to self-express. It allowed me to process emotion. That allowed me to just be creative and activate a different part of my brain. (laughs) And uh, it it just gave me permission to be a little more open with my life in a way that most people find through journaling or yoga or exercise. Painting was a a modality for me that really helped and it healed. And I started on that self-discovery journey for myself and took a lot of classes of like intuition stuff. And art things and group circles, group healing, just anything I could get my hands on to understand myself better and to help others. But the medication was a very, very big part of that.
1: I was going to ask you, because in order for you to be able to do all of those things, to go to the groups and take the classes, I was wondering if the first step was some medication just to get you a little balanced so that you could go out and do all those
2: things. Yes, exactly that. And the medication just leveled me out and got rid of that anxiety piece so mm-hmm. that I could see properly and so that I could function and so that I could absorb healing information. Because when you're in depression and anxiety, you tend to want to deflect it, even though you know you need the help. Sometimes you resist it. So the medication allowed that to kind of come through in a more natural way. And the panic attack stopped when the medication started. The panic really decreased. Yeah. But it took me a long time to accept that up until my grandfather's passing is when I probably really accepted that medication (laughs) was something I needed. I know a lot
1: of people go through that. They don't, first of all, they don't want to be on it because they're like, I don't want to take something that makes me feel different. But then when you take it and you feel better, then you're like, okay, I feel better now. I don't need it. Right.
2: Exactly.
1: Kind of the cycle. And then It
2: is a cycle and yeah. it's a horrible one. And it's one that I dealt with and still deal with. I think, you know, like now I'm more, when I take that pill every night, I have more gratitude t- towards it rather than the resistance, which mm. I had that resistance for a long time. It was oh. love, hate.
1: <laughs> I love what you're saying though, that you have that, you found the gratitude in taking it instead of the bitterness or the feeling like a failure and you have to take a pill.
2: Yes. And that's the important piece to know is that you can get there. You can get to a point where you you are accepting of your depression in a, in a different way and you can nurture it as opposed to push against it and put it somewhere mm-hmm. else because it doesn't go mm-hmm. away. It's, it's there. It's part of you. And
1: yes, it's like an you. illness. Like I had people say, it's like when you have diabetes, you you have it. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything to get it. But if you don't take medication or you don't eat right, if you don't take the proper steps, it can really mess you up. So yeah. depression is similar. It, it is not something you did to yourself. It's something you got and taking care of yourself properly is treating it.
2: It is, yeah. And going through with a therapist or a coach or someone that can hold space for you to, to be authentically raw and unapologetically process all those emotions and shame and vulnerability that go around with it is so important. And you may have to go through more than one therapist before you find one that suits you and mm-hmm. hear you the way you want to be heard. And there is a lot of different modalities that you can, that you can do, but you have to find one that actually works for you because it isn't a cookie cutter. One, one pill fits all and one heal, healing therapy session fits all. So you one pill honest. fits
1: all there's exactly. so many
2: different choices and medications
1: and what works for one person doesn't work for another person. So it's trial and error. A lot it of is. times.
2: Yeah, yeah. And recognizing the signs and being aware and being grounded in who you are and knowing who you are so that you can recognize when you're struggling. But we all don't want to look at that we want we want to just not struggle and just enjoy life as it is. And the beauty about getting the help that you need you do get to that place right but it it does take time and a lot of it comes from deep-rooted traumas or you know exposure to grief and and or you could be just sort of born with that disposition in your brain there's no real way to know so you have to treat it situational too and so important to talk about it so that people know how broad it can be and how Mm. expansive depression can be and where it affects your life differently.
1: And there's still so much stigma regarding mental health. And yet I think we're seeing in our world so much loss from mental health issues. It just seems seems like it's hitting, hitting the the teens, the young adults, just it's, it's hard to comprehend. It's hard to comprehend when you don't have it, because if you don't have it, you, you don't it's so hard to understand it, uh, what someone's going through really difficult. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to realize it's, it's not, you are not depression. You are, Jen, with a diagnosis of depression with an issue that you can treat, but that's not who you are. You are not your diagnosis.
2: Exactly that. And it is very easy to support somebody else In that knowing that you can see who they authentically are and who their light is, and wanting to help them, but when it's you and your depression, for me at least, it was a continuous argument that I just wasn't good enough. I just wasn't good enough. I was just—I was a horrible person. I'm always going to be this dark, terrible person. Was putting on a mask and all of the things. But as part of my story, also is is that my oldest son began to struggle with depression, and um, he went through. A point where we thought we were going to lose him to it. And that was a, another wake-up call in my life to go. And I felt a lot of shame in my depression around that too, because mm. did, this, did I give this to him? Did I set him up to fail? And in even talking about it now, the emotion that comes up is still very strong because when you're in your own depression, you want to blame you. You want to self-sabotage everything possible and feed it. You know, it is, is very true. You have two dogs and which one do you feed? The joy or the, the one that's snarly. And often depression wants to give the, the, the snarly dog all of, all of the good things and not the other way around. And when I saw this in my son, it was um, a huge wake-up call to talk about it. And I really realized the stigma then because oh it's teenage angst oh if teenage years are rough and oh you know he'll get through this it's a phase and and it was not and I think in regards to saying how we are losing so many teens now we have to recognize that depression shows up a lot in those teen years and really runs deep and and it isn't always just teenage angst and that is teenagers are impulsive and so we have to be very careful how we treat that.
1: I think that's a really important point that teens don't understand that life changes. Life can change, life will change. It life doesn't stay static. It's constantly changing and that 5 years is going to look so different from how it looks right now when you're in high school with all the high school stuff going on and they're so they're concrete thinkers. They're just it's black and white pretty much. So Helping them see that this isn't forever. This is
2: temporary. Skills, the skills. Mm -hmm. If I had had those skills when I was young and I was going through that hard time instead of reaching for a bottle of alcohol or rebellious or just being in pain or wanting to hurt myself, like things would look so different. And I I know I had to go through that because it's part of my story and, and I'm sure it has reason Now that I'm a mom and able to help my children when they were struggling, I think that I had purpose. But it was a long road. And and, and when you see your own children going through it and you think, oh my gosh, this has to change. We have to talk about this. And, you know, and I was, it was hard because when I was reaching out to my good friends, it made everybody very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know how to talk about it. And they wanted it to, to just chalk it up to, well, you know. There's been divorce in in his world, there's been situations, and again, it went back to that situational exposure that, that depression is situational, which it can be, I know that. But for him, it was starting to become more all the time, Not it wasn't situational, and I jumped on it and got him the help that he needed, and I'm happy to share today, he is exploring mental health for himself and wants to become a psychologist to help others through the process that he went through because, and who the emotions are there. Cause I'm so proud of that decision because it taught him that he understands there's a need for it. And there is a demographic of we're still struggling there and it needs to change. We, we need to make change.
1: Do you need to make change? And I, I think mental health is, is too expensive for one thing. I know. So I just to share a little bit, I have a son who has struggled his entire life with his mood and it has been quite the journey for he and I, and I really have been his number one advocate as you have been with your son, but oh my goodness, it is, it is a journey. It is painful. I'm so happy to say he's doing really well as well right now, but a lot of work, uh, it's, yeah. but I will say with him, he has this unbreakable spirit of just, mm. because there were many times I was terrified that we yeah. would lose him and he just never gave up. He never gave up and we would, we would pursue this or we would pursue that. We would just keep trying whatever we could try to, to get him feeling better.
2: Yeah. And and it's, it's, so it is a road and it's, and it really can trigger your your own issues, but if you have any anxiety or depression around it, or it can, it can create it because you shame and, you know, you feel shame mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and guilt and all of the things, and you want to take it from them. And it's, it's a hard journey in so many aspects. And
1: yeah, we, we struggled a lot because he just, he would go to bed and getting him out of bed in the mornings, trying to get him to school. And of course he was on medication, which doesn't help. That makes you tired and sleepy yeah. and the chaos in our household, trying to get him up and moving and, and, oh, you're going to miss school and you can't miss school. And it's just, yeah. it's, it's a lot of frustration.
2: Yeah. And it bleeds into every area. Cause then it you're bleeds into every cry. area. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it also can take a big spot in the household because yep. I have Two, two siblings and the attention was always on the one.
2: Right. And I, and I understand that. I do like um, having the two, well, you have to, and then you got to balance, right. You got to make sure that the other one's not falling into some issues as well because they're exposed to what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very layered thing. And this is why I think it's so important to continue the conversation around mental health because there needs to be more support than just, you know, a simple therapy session or a medication because it affects the family on a whole. And there is great group therapy out there. And my son did go through family and group therapy, which was really hard for me to do. I'm going to not lie here. Like I really struggled during that time. And it actually inspired me a little. Because to, be part of, to be part of the group with him? Was that
1: a group yeah. for both of you?
2: Yeah, because it triggered a lot of unhealed things within me. And realizing how unsupported I had had. Mm -hmm. And so you you, you go back to that inner child and you're like, she's like, what is, I just wanted to hold her and, you know, and I had to learn how to forgive that over time. It took a long time. So it is a very layered thing when it comes to mental health and how it affects, it's a ripple. It's a huge ripple. Well, and
1: I know that I felt so alone Mm. in that journey and I know my son did too, it, he, he struggled with relationships and friendships and people didn't understand. And it was very isolating for him, yes. isolating for me as fun. well. Yeah. And yeah, finding a group, I've, we finally found a program in our local County that was for teens at risk teens and their parents. And we were, we were part of that. And I, I found that very comforting because I, it was like for the first time, I wasn't alone. There were other people, yeah. other yeah. parents, and we were all struggling with oh, what was going on. About yeah, it me. did. It, it yeah. was, it, it was nice to find that group. And we, we carried on with that group for quite some time. And I think it was nice for the kids too, Yeah, to find someone else struggling with the same kind of thing.
2: And- yeah. Just the commonality and acceptance, like, Oh, okay. So you're, mm-hmm. you're also here. And so I can just be myself and not you know, have to have that mask on in public that you do put on like you see, cause you don't want people to see you can just be in that space and just heal each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so important. So important. You know, I'm, I'm happy to say my son's doing very well and, but it's a conversation that we still have a lot of, we do a lot of check-in. We do a lot of check-in because mm-hmm. I want him to know that it not necessarily is situational and that, he continues to be aware and check in with himself.
1: And And check in with you or be okay with letting you know if things are going in the wrong direction. I think that he can feel safe coming to you. I've had many of those conversations. It's like, you got to let me know. You let me know so I can help. I really need to know.
2: (laughs) Yes. And it's also a good check-in for yourself too, because then you're like, okay, am I being triggered? by mm-hmm. something here. And, and am I, am I doing the work too? Because, you know, if I'm expecting him to do healing, then I also have to expect that from myself too, because it's a bit of a mirror effect and, uh, and, and it works well. And I think as much as I am sad for some of the experiences that I went through, it has made me the person that I am today. And I know I'm very resilient and very more self-aware and have strong views on, accepting others and being more open and more compassionate to just the general human experience that we have. Cause life is hard yes, and, you it know, it, it's been harder the last few years. And I think we need to make some waves and how to support that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and you're yeah. absolutely right about compassion having compassion for people when they're struggling because no one knows what another person's going through. And It may be showing up in ways that you think are inappropriate, but you don't really know. You don't know what's going on or why it's going on. So taking that moment to, to instead of judging it, yeah, to to hold space for it, honestly.
2: Yes, it's so important, beyond important. And so I think the stigma is starting to crumble a little, but I think we have a ways to go.
1: This journey led you to what you're doing now. So tell us a little bit about all this great stuff you're
2: doing now. Yeah. I'm just so, I feel so grateful, so grateful. And again, like I say, I'm, I don't, I, I feel sad about my experiences, but I also am very in gratitude for the person that's made me now. And so again, you know, as I mentioned with the healing with paint and becoming more self-aware and self-exploratory, I, 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 really tapped into what's always kind of been around that intuitive part of me and self-healing and working with women and holding space for them and creating positive energy groups and healing sessions and teaching people just what I've learned along the way and what I've studied and read and experienced and just really starting kind of a business that allows that place to come and have a little bit of a soft landing and and help you connect within so that you can get empowered and be a self-advocate for whatever, whatever calls you in life, not necessarily mental health, but it could be anything, you know, and I call it your soul song. So we all have a soul song to sing. And I feel like life sometimes wants to mute that and wants to quiet that song inside of us. And, and we do all the things that we, we think we should, and we miss out on the things that we're meant to do, and we don't think they're as important as they really are. And so I like to foster that and help people reconnect with that so that even if it's not a career choice, it could be just a hobby, it could be just a passion project, it could be just a healing session, but they're more connected to themselves because if I hadn't have done that, I would still be in the vicious cycle that I was probably in Mm -hmm. of of not understanding who I was.
1: I love what you call it. The soul song. I love that. And I think that's just finding some joy.
2: It is. It's, it's sparking joy. It's, it's um, creating awareness. It's it's loving yourself. It's self-care. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a layered thing too. And there's so many different modalities that you can find a way to do that. Some people, it might be art. Some people, it might be, dance. Other people, it might be an intuitive session. It could be coaching that they need, just someone to help them gain perspective and come back to themselves. It's like coming home. Mm -hmm. We all have that inside of us. And women in particular, this is nothing against men at all, but women in particular give so much of themselves and they feel lost and empty. And my journey is to help them find sense of peace and for themselves and just foster it and not continually work with them. My goal is for them to go and find their soul song and live their life and not need anybody. But I want to show up in a place where I wish other people could have shown up for me and give a little bit of mentorship into how important you really are in this. Just want to really foster that place inside that you can Find yourself and trust yourself, and learn to love yourself in a way that we all deserve to love ourselves deeply. And
1: yes, because yeah. the world world can really beat us up; it really can, and our lives can beat us up, and we lose we lose our innocence, we lose our our ability to play,
2: our joy. We our lose joy. our joy. Yeah, and, and I think
1: that some of the things you're talking about is like if you start painting, you might find that joy again or you don't have to be this amazing artist just pick up the paint brush and Jen can teach you how to do that and to start to start it tapping into your creativity that it's there it is
2: there everybody has it somewhere deep inside and I mean it activates it like scientifically it activates a different part of your brain that Mm -hmm. just allows more of that to come through and teach a mini series course, which is all about being fearless in your creativity. So it's about letting go and not having an outcome. And a lot of people are very creative, but they think it needs to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I introduce three or four different modalities where you can really have a date night with yourself and your creativity and just go abandon, unbridled abandon and and just really release some stuff that's and have a good time, like put on some music and have a beverage of your choice and just really sink into that part of yourself that we forgot because it's there and it really does heal. Like it it brings joy. And, and I think we need more of that because we are, we are in a society where we're meant to work and work and work and joy comes on the weekends or we numb out and think joy is something that it's not. So anything to reconnect with yourself, whether it be through intuition, trusting yourself, energy, healing, art, that's, that is my soul song. And so I have art followed it. And yeah.
1: music for some people it's music. Yes. Uh, for some people it's nature to being yes. out in nature. Nature is so healing. I always want to remind my listeners of that. If you, know, you can go put your bare feet on the grass for 10 minutes mother earth is going to send you some good healing.
2: Yes. And I teach a a course called soul alchemy, which is all about that. And dealing with like being out in nature, being by the ocean, being, you know, in a windstorm and just remembering what it felt like to be exploratory in, in the elements of our life, like that are all around us and just taking pause to be present is, is a practice. And Nature can teach us that. Nature mm-hmm. can be present and still and gorgeous and adaptive.
1: Taking the moment when you see a beautiful sunset to really appreciate it. Yeah. Or like you said, the ocean. I, I find water so healing. And I love just there's something about being by the water that is just oh, heals just the soul.
2: Hand, like, <laughs> oh my God, why haven't I done this twice this week? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yes. And,
1: and and I think what you're saying is is that childlike awe that childlike innocence that child knows how to play just plays but we we think about it and or I could see myself doing artwork and be like well wait a minute it's not perfect I need to be exactly
2: right that would be me (laughs) yeah yeah and I and it's funny because there's a couple ladies in the course that I'm teaching now and, and we did circles and I'm just circling and they're going oh my goodness you know my circles aren't perfect and I thought who is looking so there's the conversation to start who are you making circles for let's explore.
1: Uh, ah, just for You're yourself help, right
2: yeah, like, <laughs> who are your people pleasing here so there's always a different layer of why we do the things that we do and it's about just sort of letting go and and really just being freed like having the freedom to just explore and create and have joy because mm-hmm. if we start being really logical at everything we're doing, it does take joy out of it, but we're conditioned to do that. That's how we adult, <laughs> that's yes. how we get things done, but we need to remember that there's this other part of us that's free and fancy and and, and full of joy and life and love that we need to bring that to the surface a little more often, it just makes life a little bit better. Mm-hmm. A little bit easier.
1: Yes. And so I'm just thinking about when you made that commitment to start to get healthier and you went on the medication and then you went and, and explored and did all these certifications and classes. And now you, you found your way to help others Yeah, and along the way, helping yourself and healing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I just, it's an amazing unbreakable spirit that you have this tenacity that yeah, you kept going, you kept working on it and you, you did find your way.
2: I did. I found my way and, and I now have so much more compassion for that dark girl that I used to call mm-hmm. her. Just, mm-hmm. I see her as a, as a wounded inner child that just never had a voice. And so I've given her a voice. And when she gets a little cranky and comes up and that depression sort of comes in the panic where the life throws your curveball, I kind of have sit and have tea with her and say, okay, like, how are we going to work through this? Mm-hmm. How are we going to make you feel better? And I just want to give love to that area of myself rather than resist against it or push it back or not talk about it because it, that didn't work. And what I'm doing now seems to be working much better. So it, and it is, it is a journey. It is definitely parts of me. There were parts of me that were almost broken and there were times that I'm going to be honest I was not going to stay here. I was, I was ready to leave this planet and I was just ready to get, th- throw in the towel. And I feel like now I can look at that and have so much more compassion for myself and realize you don't have to get to that point. You can, you can do other things that help ease that pain.
1: And I, I think it's important just to, to note that the dark girl is always there. Yes. Yeah. It's just how powerful a voice does she have and how are you responding to her that's never going to completely go away because exactly, it's an aspect. Yeah.
2: yes, And I love how you frame that because it is, and it took me even up until like the process of writing that chapter, I was still working through how to accept that part of myself. And I think I've gotten a little closer to that. And I think it's going to take me maybe my whole lifetime, but I definitely have more patience and more compassion towards it and to myself and forgiveness on, you don't have to handle everything stellarly. Sometimes sometimes you drop some balls and sometimes Mm -hmm. you do it wrong. And sometimes you do it fantastically, but each of them are true and both of them are me. And it's okay. It's okay to not be all of the things that you think you should be all the time.
1: And I like to think about intentions as well. It's what was your intention? Are you trying to do the best you can? Of course. And we are all usually trying to do the best we can. So to be compassionate with yourself, if it's not perfect, it's okay. (laughs) Your intention was good. Your intention was to try to do the right thing or the best thing and be okay with that. Yeah. Jen, if someone wants to work with you, how would they do that? What do you have to offer our, our listeners?
2: Well, I, uh, I would love to offer is just a little introduction to, to what I do. So I would love to offer the listeners, you know, either a mini intuitive session, which is just you're into that sort of thing. Just pulling some cards and discussing intentions and intuition within. And then there's also soul coaching that I do, which includes discussion around some things you might be struggling with in your life and how you can kind of connect to your soul song and different modalities of how to do that. Just a little mini introduction to both of those things. About a half hour each, I think would be a good way, to, good introduction. And then you can decide if you would want to work for further with me or not. Because I do a lot, of, a lot of stuff, actually.
1: I know, <laughs> so, painting yeah. and all kinds of things. Yeah. How would our listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you?
2: A main way I always go through email. I don't know if that's like the dinosaur age still, but email <laughs> is always the best way to do it because not everybody is on social media. You can reach me at jennmillerart at gmail.com. And it's Jen with two N's. And then I'm also on Facebook, of course, and Instagram. And on Facebook, you can find me under Jennifer Miller, intuitive artist and soul coach. And we're just under my name, Jennifer Miller. And I can lead you in that direction. And those are usually the easiest ways. I will put the email and the
1: social media links in the show notes for our listeners. And if you reach out to Jen, or I should say when you reach out to Jen, if you could put Unbreakable Spirit or Jennifer Seven in the subject line so that Jen knows that you found her through our Unbreakable Spirit podcast, then she will be happy to offer you one of these free half-hour sessions, which sound amazing to me. And I, I think I'm going to book one. <laughs> I would love that. Thank you so much, Jen, for being on this podcast, for sharing your story, your mental health story, because again, I think it's it's so important for us to raise awareness let people know they're not alone, and that there is help out there, yes. and that you can thrive.
2: You can, you can, and you can just move forward in your life, and you can, you can live, enjoy, and you can sing your soul
0: song. It's it's for everyone.
1: Uh, thank you. That is just perfect. Yeah, well,
0: thank you. you. Thank you for joining us on Unbreakable Spirit. To learn more about Jennifer and her holistic weight loss approach, visit her website at 7company.com. That's the number 7company.com. And please join us for our next episode, where we'll hear from more women who overcame hardship and learned how to thrive.